Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from our slightly different perspective. You know, some of the most enduring fantasies in our hobby are the way we perceive certain fishes are comfortable being kept. The fantasies which have unfortunately trickled beyond our little enclave of the hobby and into popular consciousness. Now, if you're like many fish geeks, at one time or another, you've probably kept at least one beta at some point in your career. Most likely a fancy variety, purchased in a little cup and then unceremoniously added to a little bowl somewhere. Now, up until all that, you know, not all that many years ago, this was kind of my impression of betas in the aquarium hobby. You know, one species, beta splendens, small bowls and cups, and improperly kept, dangerously inbred, low-quality fish found by the million at some big box pet store somewhere. And of course, for the longest time, I believe that these fish favored the confining, decidedly not-so-good environment of a small container of water. And how could you fault me? That's kind of how they've been sold to the world for generations. Sadly, the cultural myth of betas being adapted to this kind of microenvironment has endured in both the hobby and popular culture, and we're all pretty much convinced that they live exclusively in tiny puddles in Thailand, Cambodia, and other parts of Southeast Asia. And the sad part is that there is a little hint of truth to this. Sure, they are found in puddles and evaporating pools of water along roads, ditches, and rice paddies, but it's because of their excellent survival capabilities, you know, clinging to life in these evaporating puddles rather than out of some innate preference for tiny spaces. They have really good jumping you know, capabilities for a reason, right? I venture to guess it's to help escape from these little tight spots when the water gets really nasty. And of course, because they're often seen in the native habitat in these little puddles and such, they're extremely adaptive to survive. Note the word survive. You know, such tiny, tight spaces with lower water quality, and we hail their remarkable adaptability and you know ability to, to tolerate these nasty conditions you know, found in desiccating tracts of water because of their labyrinth organ. And I'm not going to get into describing that whole organ. You could look it up. It's well-known in the hobby. We probably all have heard some description on their ability to breathe atmospheric air, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but that's where it gets a little bit weird to me. You see, by extension, we can use this to justify the fact that they are best kept in smaller bowls and such by hobbyists of all skill levels. It's almost like they're perceived by many of us non-specialists to be just like annual killifish, ecologically adapted to live in these evaporating puddles as part of their life cycle, when the reality is that these fish can live for five years or more with proper care. And what happens as a result is that they're all, you know, they're humanely kept in little bowls and cups. I say that loosely. Displayed this way at fairs and carnivals and even pet shops. Now, the fair part is just tragic. The pet shop part is a bit of a challenge. However, at least these people have some skills and a passion for the animals. The fish stores are probably the best place for this practice because typically they have qualified, knowledgeable fish people taking care of them and while they're there and access to better equipment, food, and water. Oh, and the better qualified caregivers are in a position to explain the potential to, you know, to potential purchasers that these fishes actually require some care and skill to keep healthy and happy. They're not the aquatic equivalent of an air fern or a pet rock. And typically someone at a tropical fish store, you know, if, if a person is there, they typically have more than just a cursory interest in tropical fishes. So, you know, you've got that working for you. Yet the fact is these fishes are perceived as being best kept in such sketchy conditions. What about water quality, temperature control, etc.? Is there a better way? Well, of course there is. And I'm not saying that it's blindly, you know, we, we blindly perceive this, but the way they have been presented to the public for so many years gives this impression. And sure, 
They're kept in cups because they can survive for a time you know, in them, and they can breathe air when the oxygen level in the water gets low, i.e. when the water quality declines, and therefore sellers will use the, these cups for convenience. It doesn't matter that they, you know, it doesn't mean that they should be kept in them. Uh, we kind of all know this. And, uh, oh, the fact that male betas can and do beat the shit out of each other when kept in aquariums together has helped make the cup thing a sort of a standard, if not a preferred method, to keep them in many retail situations. I mean, otherwise you'd have like 50 male betas scattered throughout the store in 50 different tanks, right? Hardly practical for inventory or control purposes, I suppose. Females are often kept in sorority situations, as they call them, with several in one aquarium. We have many beta fans who do blackwater aquariums for their sororities, so I'm familiar with this. And sure, males can be kept singly with other fishes in a well-thought-out community tank, although the males tend to be somewhat antisocial in a lot of situations. And, you know, ideally, a 5- or 10-gallon heated filter tank for single male is, like, optimal, right? Yet we're faced with that strange dichotomy of knowing the best way to keep them, but displaying them in a way that sends an erroneous message to the general public. Bit of a disconnect, for sure. Now, again, it's easy for me, who doesn't face the economic realities of owning a brick-and-mortar fish store, to sit here and take pot shots at this practice. And that's not the point. I think, however, that we can use this long-standing practice as sort of a springboard to a more sustainable aquarium practices and can help the hobby in, in the, at the same time. Yeah, I get the feeling there could be a better way to address this. What about the local fish store, which by necessity keeps the betas in bowls, also having a display or two or three replicating their natural habitat, or even just a nice, well-thought-out, you know, planted aquarium or whatever featuring one of these specimens, located adjacent to the beta selections? Not only would this address the correct or a better way to keep these fish, it would also prove to be a good sales vehicle for aquariums and related equipment and accessories, etc., right? It would show that there's more to it than just a fish in a bowl. That would have the alt, you know, the the alternate um, um, ability to not only encourage people to keep aquariums, but it would discourage those that aren't up for the challenge, and maybe they just wouldn't buy those fish to begin with. That's a good thing, right? You know, removing part of that disconnect, which still exists. Yeah, I suppose it boils down to us as a hobby doing a better job at communicating to the general public the optimal conditions to keep these fishes under. The idea that betas are sort of a maintenance-free pet for kids is lunacy. And perpetuating that baitable thing without this context is the real disconnect here. It's another case where a little understanding of the natural habitats of the fish is possibly the best compromise, right? When we understand the wild habitat of the fishes that we keep, we can strive to at least replicate them on some levels, right? Plus, educating the public about this aspect of the beta gives us an opportunity to create new aquarium hobbyists and for people to understand the natural world around them. Now look, betas are, you know, breeders often keep betas in temporary quarters and containers, which are not exactly what many hobbyists would consider as permanent or even optimal for their skill sets and their aspirations. However, these guys are willing to put in the work and maintain these containers and such. They understand the basics of fish care and employ practices which assure the health and well-being of their fishes religiously. And of course, just because we can keep them this way doesn't mean it's the proper thing for the fish or for newcomers to the hobby. And again... I'm not trashing this. I'm just questioning if there's a better way. And I think there is. Now, look, my little piece here is not exactly an earth-shattering, hard-hitting expose on this stuff. We've had these discussions in the hobby for decades and probably way better than any argument I'm presenting here. It's just something that's on my mind today. And most of us agree that the way these fishes are typically presented to the public is problematic. So I think that as we constantly discuss the pressures facing the aquarium hobby, that the idea of educating ourselves and the public about the habitats from which these fishes hail is the way to go. 
And there's that interesting fact that there's like 70 plus, rec you know, recognized species in the genus Beta. The possibilities to keep these interesting fishes in uniquely configured aquariums are really significant. And often the habitats are just as interesting as the fishes which reside in them. The idea of replicating the natural habitats of our fishes in functional and aesthetic ways is part of the allure to me. And these environments are really interesting. When you dig a little deeper, <clears throat> excuse me, as many you know experienced beta enthusiasts have, you find out that they generally come from much larger, more permanent, and thickly vegetated habitats than we commonly perceive them from coming. And a greater variety of them at that. Little pools of water, rice paddies, sluggish streams, salt, small marshes choked with vegetation, leaves, branches, etc. Of course, this is where my interest comes in. They're often found in habitats that are just like the ones we play with, tannin stained, botanical, you know, material packed and uniquely interesting. And of course, with all these interesting species, there are of course some which have adapted to different types of niches like under leaves and submerged branches. Opportunities to keep them in proper, interesting situations abound. And of course, it's kind of hard to replicate these types of habitats in a tiny cup or bowl of water. So why not set an aquarium up just for them, right? Like the allure of the natural habitats in themselves can provide enough motivation for many to create unique aquariums, right? Something with small rocks, wood, and you know, a lot of leaves and sturdier botanicals, the familiar stuff that we're good at, right? And you might want to experiment with a pure botanical substrate of mixed leaves and some of the smaller seed pods and such to create a really more accurate portrayal of the surprisingly diverse habitats from which these fishes come from. Many of you have shared a number of cool shots of your wild beta in botanical style aquariums, and these are perfectly suited to these unique fish. A number of you have even created polydorium type species for you know wild betas, and your fish rooms are filled with black water botanical systems designed as you know to permanently house many of these really interesting species. The variety of beta species is so incredible, each with you know unique color patterns, morphology, and requirements that you might just devote a bunch of tanks to them. It's a really fascinating you know specialty within the hobby, and hopefully. This embarrassingly generalized, incredibly short visit to the alt-beta world may have provided you with some incentive to look more closely at these captivating fishes and to keep them in far more natural, interesting conditions than you may have previously discussed or even considered. And that gets us talking. Again, I find it necessary to reiterate that I have no illusions about this being some big revealing look at the controversies and the allure of betas filled with you know, new information and solutions to every problem. That wasn't even the point. I think that such a presentation as I did here can just you know create a discussion on this stuff which could maybe trickle down into the um the greater hobby and and to the uh, general public as well it's important to look at some of the areas of our hobby which could use a little bit of attention from time to time areas which need more discussion and clarification areas in which our expertise and experience at replicating specific types of aquatic habitats can really help push forward the possibilities of success with many varieties of tropical fishes including of course beta species Hopefully the beta bowl, I hate that word, of the 21st century will be a properly outfitted small aquarium with filtration, heat, botanicals, black water, and plants. You know, a far cry from the popular yet shockingly one-dimensional way we've kept these fishes for so many years, or at least presented them to the public. Learning or applying all these new things about fishes that you may have taken for granted for years is not only humbling, it's fascinating, it's enjoyable, and it makes you realize just how awesome this aquarium hobby really is. Keep exploring. Keep striving, keep sharing, stay fascinated, stay curious, stay creative, stay skeptical, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.